car and went and carried on with the day. You were expecting something interesting then, weren't you, with the police car? <laughs> Absolutely nothing interesting happened at all in that journey. I drove safely, I drove within the law, and I got home. I want to contrast that, though, with something that happened 26 years ago. 26 years ago, I failed my driving test, not for the first time, but for the second time. And I can still remember that walk of shame into the sixth form common room when all my friends say, did you pass? And I'm like, no. I did pass the third time, which was a great relief because I'd have been the only one in my school year who hadn't passed the second time if that had been the case. But the reason I was contrasting it was 26 years ago, my driving was not great. It was unsafe. Um, the, the driving test examiner had to do an emergency stop on my second test, which is never really a good thing. Whereas now, I just get in the car and drive. What had been difficult is now second nature. What had been something I'd had to give a great deal of thought to was now something that just happens. And I'm actually reasonably competent. Claire might disagree, but I'm actually reasonably competent <laughs> at it. Well, today, carrying on um, from last week, where Alison took us through the introduction to Proverbs, and we looked at chapter 1, we're now moving on a little bit and going towards chapter 9. Um, we get to add not only wisdom into the mix this week, but folly as well. And today we're going to read what is the end of um, the first section of the book. If you were here last week, if you weren't here, have a listen on um, the website because it was a really great introduction to the book. The first nine chapters of Proverbs give us a narrative which is um, Solomon sort of addressing his son about how to live wisely in the world. And as we do this, as we look at this this morning, I want us to keep that question in the back of our mind. Is God's wisdom second nature to us? Are we growing in our knowledge and understanding of God so that day by day we find it easier and easier to instinctively walk in his ways? So just keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this morning. So Proverbs chapter 9, page 612, if you've got a church Bible in front of you. I'm going to read the whole chapter, it's not very long. Wisdom has built a house, she has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine, she has also set her table. She sent out her servants, and she called from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, Come, eat my food and drink the wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is secret. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Let's pray again. 
Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is so varied and so incredibly rich. And we just pray that as we unpack um, this section of Proverbs, that you will just teach us again your ways. Help us to be disciples who grow more and more in the knowledge of you so that we can just live lives that are well-lived, lives that are lived with your agenda and your purposes. We ask it for your sake. Amen. If you get a chance um, to read the previous chapters of Proverbs, what we find in the previous chapters is that um, Solomon, in writing to his son, has personified both wisdom and folly as two women. And what we get in chapter 9 is the summary of their two calls. And it's a beautifully distilled chapter because we basically get everything that's gone before just in these sort of two fairly pithy statements. We do have to be really careful here. Some people have gotten a real tangle with chapters 8 and 9 of Proverbs. Going back through the centuries of the church, if you go back to the third century, there was a man named Arius, and he was a church leader, and he began to read this passage and said, hold on, wisdom is Jesus. Okay, what we find in Proverbs is about Jesus. If you go into many shopping centers today, you will find groups of people who will still follow that line of teaching, that they would take on that exactly the woman of Proverbs is actually Jesus. But when we read Proverbs, that just won't do. If, you look at, if you've got the Bible in front of you, look at Proverbs 8, verse 22. It says, The Lord brought me forth, talking about wisdom, as the first of his works. Now, what do we know about Jesus? We know that the Bible tells us time and time again that Jesus always has been. He always will be. He is uncreated. He is the word that we sing in the carol. He is begotten of the Father. He's not created by the Father. He has always been. And one great rule of thumb for interpreting Scripture is always allow Scripture to interpret itself. Always allow those bits that are totally clear to interpret those bits that are not quite so clear. So here's some really clear things about Jesus. He is before all things, all things, and in him all things hold together. Revelation 22 verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus has no beginning and no end. He always has been. But then we get this from 1 Corinthians 1, 24. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So how do we best understand what wisdom is here? Well, I like this quote. Because Jesus is God, he has and expresses the wisdom of God. But the woman of Proverbs 8 to 9 does not directly describe Jesus. If it did, it would be a deficient Jesus and wouldn't be the Jesus that we worship in Scripture. So what we find, that wisdom in Proverbs is the wisdom of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit, who is evidenced to us through the creation, who we know and we see through everything that is round about us. And just as a bit of an aside, I find it baffling to believe that intelligent human beings can look at the created order and say there is no God. You know, the, the order that is in our human bodies, the way we're put together, the way our minds work. I think it was C.S. Lewis said, if the, the only thing he ever saw was the thumb, it would be enough to convince him of a creator God. You know, God's wisdom is in absolutely everything that we see. So what do we do with these personifications then? Well, if I were to say to you this morning, there's an opportunity knocking at the door for you, would you go and answer the door to greet opportunity? Or if I were to say, the winds of change are blowing, you wouldn't say, well, it's time for me to get my kite out. 
They would be the wrong type of responses. We know this kind of language. We know what to do with it. So what actually I think is going on here is that we have um, these personifications, the realities of what happens in life, and they're things that happen. We get called at by both wisdom, God's wisdom, and the folly of this world that either comes from the evil one, our own human natures, or just the brokenness of the world around us. So let's have a look at these two different women. The woman of wisdom. Chris already pinched my cloak. How disastrous is that? But I got one better. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Philosophy is wondering if that makes ketchup a smoothie. (laughs) I don't think I could drink ketchup as a smoothie, particularly. What is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Well, knowledge is something we can acquire through learning. Wisdom, essentially, is understanding what we do with that knowledge. So people can get to know an awful lot about God and yet not know how to put that into practice because they don't actually know God himself. I was listening to something by somebody this week who was saying they once went into a university and asked all these theology professors, do you know God? And the answer was coming back, well, I know Hebrew and I know Greek and I know the early church fathers. So that's not what I asked. That's a different issue. Do you know God? Wisdom, you see, comes through that deep knowledge of God and how to apply God's truths to our everyday life. I had a a very, very unique experience on Friday. Um, It was Claire's birthday on Friday, and we went out for a meal. And um, after the meal, we we were sat in a restaurant in Lim, and this bloke came up to chat to me. Now, he's somebody I know reasonably well. He, He sometimes comes to various churches together events. And he said, I just had to tell you, Jonathan, he said, you are an inspiration to me. So I'm thinking, oh, this could be exciting. What, what have I done that's inspiring? And I was expecting him to come out with some, something, you know, that I might have said that would have helped him in his life, this, that, and the other. And he, he came back at me and he said this. He said, I was at the service at the dam on Easter Sunday last year. And he said, I looked at you and I thought, Jonathan carries off being bald quite well. <laughs> Now, this was a man who used to have quite a long ponytail, but also didn't have a lot of hair on top. And he said, in that moment, in a flash of inspiration, he went and had his hair chopped off. And he said, for the last year, I have been his inspiration, and that he has never looked back. You know, it was a first, because I don't think I've ever been the inspiration for somebody's hairstyle. So it was a unique experience. But we all need things that inspire us, don't we? We all need people or things to look up to that inspire us. And the question about wisdom really is, is God our inspiration for how we live? Because there are other forms of inspiration. There are other things that will clamor for our attention. You see, both the woman of wisdom and the woman of folly seek to get the attention of the young man. And both of them have things that they offer. But let's look at wisdom, the first one. She has a house that is built. She has meat and wine on offer. These were the foods of feasting in the Old Testament times. She calls people to her banquet, which offers life and insight. She is organized. She is intentional. Her house is visible and stable. It's built on seven pillars. We're not quite sure what that means, but it must have meant something to Solomon. And she has rich things to offer. She has servants who go out taking her message right across the city, Her message is taken in broad daylight. It's open to everybody. She's proud, if you sense, of what what she's calling people to. She wants everybody to know about it. 
See, the call to follow God's wisdom, the call to live a life that is rooted in God himself, is the call to a rich life, the call to a life that is lived successfully with God's blessing. Now, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not talking about health, wealth, happiness, and the shiny white teeth that some people may offer us, we think, if we follow God. It's not that at all. God's markers are very different. Those are human markers of success. And actually, as we look at the world, some of the people who are richest, the most successful in the eyes of the world, are incredibly foolish. And some people who the world will look at as totally unsuccessful and probably quite foolish are, in God's eyes, the people who are walking according to his ways and his purposes. So what we find that the riches that God has to offer is a life that is aligned with his will and purposes. A life that goes from chaos to order. Now, throughout the scriptures, there is this constant theme of God taking things from the chaotic into his order. You see it at the start in Genesis chapter 1, when out of the, 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 um, the cosmos that is not formed, God brings order and he creates from it. And we see it in our own lives as well. As our lives come more and more under God's rule and reign, what happens is our chaos is brought into God's order. And that is where the riches and the life well lived of God come into play. A life that has value and reflects the purposes that God has for us. Down in verses 10 to 12, if you've got those in front of you, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. We were looking at last week how the fear of the Lord is, is at the root of wisdom. Now, when we talk about fear here, we're not talking about that kind of terrified fear that we can't approach God. But if we once know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's that kind of awestruck fear that says we understand who God is and we come and worship him. You know, we live complicated lives, don't we? We live in a world that is complicated. Most of us face difficult decisions. We have lives that are full of problems, lives where the clamor comes from all um, sort of different places for our attention. If we're to deal with that well, we need to have that deep knowledge of the character and the heart of God. And to have that heart that is willing to receive, that is willing to grow in our knowledge and our love and understanding of Jesus. How do we gain that knowledge that can lead us to wisdom? Well, these may seem very obvious things, but they are totally true and unchanging. The first one is through God's word. You know, everything that we need to know about God is in the Bible. Everything that we think we know has to be subject to what it says in God's revealed word. Now, I've been challenged um, recently, I don't, I don't mean the last few weeks, but in the last few years, about how often as Christians we, we turn to those bits of the Bible that we know and think we understand and we leave whole sections largely untouched. You know, it's as if we go to a restaurant and the menu is in front of us and it's this long and we order the first two dishes because we know we like them and we know they're good and we know they're great, but we miss out on the rest. I think sometimes as Christians we can do that with God's word, can't we? We can go to those bits that we think we, think we can easily deal with and understand and leave whole chunks untouched. How many of us before these last few weeks, had really spent any length of time in Lamentations or Ecclesiastes over, over recent years. And yet, what do we find in them? The revealing of God's heart. You know, can I encourage us to develop that love for the Scripture, that love for God's Word, and to get into it and to read it, digest it, and understand it? 
God also speaks to us by the promptings of his Holy Spirit in each situation. We heard this verse last week from from James 1 verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Nick shared at the end of the service last week how he'd faced a couple of situations in work and had to pray that prayer from James and believe that God would answer because God does give us what he says he will give us. What does that verse in James say? Pray for wisdom and God will give it to you. By his Holy Spirit, God will speak into those situations. So how do we know God more? We know through prayer and by the Holy Spirit. We also know more with one another. Just look around the room at the moment. See all these different people who are here. There are people here who have been on the Christian journey longer than you have, longer than I have. You know, I meet with um, a friend of mine who is a a minister who's um, about 10, 12 years older than me. Um, He's been in ministry three times longer than me. He's, I think, a lot wiser than me in in many ways, simply because he spent that much longer in the scripture, that much longer in prayer, that much longer working that stuff out. And I go to him probably every two months to spend a couple of hours just chatting through life, chatting through ministry, chatting through what is going on. And I just find those times are really special because I'm learning from one who has already learned. I'm learning from somebody else who has already received from God in so many different ways. Why do we read Christian books? Because we believe that the Spirit has already spoken to other people and we can receive from one another. But you know, we can still know all those kind of things about God and yet miss God out. I don't know if you've come across this quote before by an evangelist from the middle of the the 20th century. A man with an experience of God is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. It's just that very simple question. As we think about wisdom, do we desire to know God more? Not just know more about God, but know God more in our everyday lives. Because, you know, the minute we begin to know God more, it really does change everything. We start to understand God's priorities for us in life. We start to understand God's values. Following God's wisdom isn't about rules and regulations, but it's about instinctively knowing what is on God's heart. We learn to become those second nature followers of Jesus, those ones who will just follow behind because we know what Jesus would be doing. I've already mentioned it was Claire's birthday on Friday. You know, when we first got married, I made some pretty bad mistakes in terms of buying presents for Claire. And the reason being was that what I used to do was think of something I wanted, buy it, and then wrap it up and give it to Claire. And that didn't really go down that well on a, a number of occasions. But it's easy to do, isn't it? If you don't know somebody that well, you, you start to think of what you're like and project it onto the other person. Yet as you get to know somebody better, you know, I still make mistakes, but perhaps not as many as I used to. As you get to know somebody better, you instinctively know what another person likes. If you think of friends who are close, or family members who are close to you, you start to get it to instinctively know them. As we get to know God more, we instinctively know how God would want us to behave in situations. We instinctively start to realize the heart of God in what we're going through in life. We see here's where there's a problem in this passage. The the woman of wisdom, in a sense, we, we can deal with. She's positive. She has God's ways to offer. But the woman of folly is very different. Augustine of Hippo says, Wisdom and folly can be clothed alike in plain words or the finest flowers of speech. It's not always as easy as we think it might be to distinguish what is wisdom 
and what is folly in life. And I think the writer, Solomon, in these verses actually indicates this, in that actually, at first glance, they both look fairly similar. They're both calling from the highest points of the city. You imagine these two houses, two highest points of the city, calling out to people. At first glance, you probably wouldn't be able to tell them apart until you start to look a little bit deeper. Have a look at what um, the woman of folly is like in verses 13 to 18. It says she's unruly. Her house doesn't have the foundations of the seven pillars that the woman of wisdom did. She's overseeing an unruly invitation. There is no banquet that is prepared. There is no logic to it. There is no bigger plan. There is no desire to bless. She doesn't want people to know, in a sense, that she's inviting people. It's, It's all done a little bit on the side. There's no servants who've gone out over the city. It's a little bit hidden. It's still there. She's still calling out, but she's just doing it randomly as people walk past. What does she have to to offer? Well, she has stolen water, stuff that she's not really meant to be giving out. And she also has those dark deeds that are done in secret. And where does it end? Well, it ends in the realm of the dead. See, if we're following Jesus today, Foolishness and temptation does not come to us in a neat, organized way. You will not suddenly come up against a situation in life and a big red light will light up saying, this is a temptation to foolishness. You are now being tempted. They just happen because it's from a chaotic source. The chaotic source of the temptations of the evil one, our own fallen human nature, and the brokenness of the world around us. It may be that thing that suddenly grabs our attention unexpectedly. You know, you may be browsing on the internet and you're you're looking for something perfectly legitimate and suddenly a link pops up to something that tempts you. Might be that it's sexual, it might be gambling, it could be anything. And suddenly you're tempted to go to that place that actually you know God wouldn't want you to go to. Or perhaps you're there watching the TV and suddenly these adverts come on for something or other. And you're suddenly tempted to spend money that you haven't got on something that you don't need without thinking through the consequences. This time of year, it's all adverts for holidays, isn't it? And so you're watching there, and suddenly all these holidays come up, and you think, if only I could holiday my way to peace. And we get tempted to look for peace in areas that God doesn't call us to look for. There is no logic to folly. It's not organized. It will come at us randomly from every direction and all over the place. The question is, how can we learn to spot the difference? Sometimes they may look very similar. How can we learn to spot the difference? One thing that I always find very helpful is um, when faced with a decision, when faced with something that you're tempted to do, and actually you may know it's not right, or you may actually not know whether it's right or wrong. You know when you're listening to some music, no matter what you're listening to, on whether it's on a CD or Spotify or whatever your chosen medium of listening to music is, or you're watching a movie, it might be a DVD on Netflix or whatever, there's always a fast-forward button, isn't there? You can always skip to see what's coming on. Quite often, if we're tempted to do something or follow something that we think may be folly, it's think, what happens if I fast-forward this action? What could happen in my life if I go down this trajectory? What could happen if I go down this road? What would happen if I clicked on that link onto that website? What would happen if I went to that party where actually I know I'm going to be tempted? What would happen if, to my marriage, if I started lingering around 
the photocopier at work where I know I'm going to bump into that person? What would happen if I followed those calls of folly? Will I be blessed? Will other people round about me be blessed? Will my life move from chaos to more order, or will it go from order to chaos? Will Jesus, in the end, be glorified? What will happen? I'm not sure where this particular quote comes from, but I quite like this. Wisdom versus foolishness is seeing and responding to life situations from a perspective that transcends my current circumstances. Think about that perspective as God's perspective. That which transcends what we're currently in. What would happen if I went down that particular road? You know, if we live our lives in reverent fear of God, if we know him and are known by him, if we have the perspective of eternity, not just the day-to-day in our hearts, our lives can really change. And we find that we're responding not to the call of folly, but to the call of wisdom. See, when we turn to Christ, what does the Bible remind us? That we are, we, we confess Jesus is Lord, we are saved gloriously through grace. Our lives don't no longer end in verse 18 in the realm of the dead, cut off from God for eternity, but they end in Revelation 21 with the new heaven and the new earth. The question I would ask us this morning is, are we instinctively learning to follow in the ways of Jesus? Are we coming behind him? Are we able to recognize the difference between wisdom and folly? Are we open to the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives? Do we hear that call to walk in God's ways. Are we listening? This is a picture that I think summarizes quite well the two differences. Sorry, it's a bit blurred. To the left, you have the way of wisdom. To the right, you have the way of folly. They both look the same at the outset, but one leads to a path that just carries on. The other leads to chaos. Let's make it our prayer that God would help us to know the difference between his ways and the ways of folly and to seek that deeper understanding of him so that our lives can be lived to his glory. Let's pray. Lord, would you be our inspiration, our vision, our reason for living? Would you help us to walk in your ways? Lord, would you give us that discernment to be able to work out what is wisdom and what is folly? Lord, without you, we are nothing. Without you, we cannot do this on our own. You may be sat here this morning, and there may be a circumstance or a situation this week that you've got to, to make a call on, to make a decision about. If that's you this morning, can I just encourage you to just use the couple of moments of silence we'll take um, just shortly, just to bring that situation before God and to ask for his wisdom in what to do next. Let's just, let's just hold silence just for a moment. Let's bring those situations in life before God that perhaps we need to just ask for, for God's guidance, for God's leading. Remembering those words from James that when we pray for wisdom, God, God grants it to us. Let's just bring our lives just for a moment before the Lord.
Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you do that new work in us? Would you transform us so that following you, knowing your wisdom, becomes that second nature action? Help us to be different this time next year than we are now in terms of how we live. And help that to keep going forward. Rescue it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.